So welcome back to Bottomless Broadway. I'm here again with Christine, and I know that I said we would focus on new musicals this season, but we're going to take a short break and actually go over two closing Best Musical winners, The Band's Visit and Kinky Boots. We're trying something new, so we're going to go through these shows track by track. So major spoiler alert, because we will be going through both shows in quite a bit of detail. But yeah, let us know if you prefer this format or the format of the last episode, and we'll jump right in. Cool. So we're going to be starting with the band's visit, which was 2018. We have an Egyptian band who ends up in this Israeli city by accident because they got the wrong city name. And then they spend a night there and nothing too much happens, but it's just about the time that they spent there. When you first start the show, they project this text on the screen and all it says is once not long ago, a group of musicians came to Israel from Egypt. You probably didn't hear about it. It wasn't very important. So jumping right in, we start with an overture. All the music is done by traditional Arabic band. And so it's a really good way of setting up the sound of the musical and what to kind of expect. It's a very low-key show compared to many of the other shows that open on Broadway that season. We open on the band and they are trying to get to this place called Peta Tikva but they end up going to another place called Bet Hatikva with a B instead of a P. And that's apparently because in Egyptian, they don't really have a B sound in the language. So that's how they got confused. And then we jump into the first song, Waiting, which introduces us to the residents of Bet Hatikva. One thing I do want to mention about waiting, the part that Dina, who is the cafe owner, sings, she mentions there's two kinds of waiting. There's like one type of waiting where you're waiting for something to happen. But then there's another kind of waiting, which is what everyone in this town is doing, where they're just like waiting for basically their life to be exciting and they don't know if it's ever going to happen. There's two kinds of waiting. There's the kind where you're expecting something new. And I actually thought that was a little bit on the nose to just say it like that. It was amazing characterization for Dina because throughout the show, you see how like bored with life she is in this town. And she's very different from a lot of the other locals because she really wants to do something with her life. Welcome to Nowhere has such a similar tempo and everything to waiting, but I like it so much more. Also, they're like, nothing new ever happens, and we don't have culture, so we don't have tourists. And then it's like, here's tourists, and they're like, yeah, but we don't really want you. Yeah, basically. These are two very different groups, like Arabics and Israelis. And so when I first went into the show, I thought they'd be talking like politically about sort of the conflict between them, but they actually don't really do that at all. Okay, I'll probably have like more to say about this when we talk about like why they won the mm-hmm. Tonys and stuff. But I think the show actually does have more political undertones than it like immediately lets on. But also, it does so in a very safe way. Like the message of like, hey, if we just spent time together, we would realize that we're not as different as we thought we are, is like the most age old message you could possibly give. It's a good message and it probably holds more of a message than any of the other shows that came out this year but it's still a very safe message. They're not really pushing any boundaries politically in this show. I'm a little torn 
on the accent because I love it. It's so beautiful. But then also they use it to do stuff in the lyrics, which like almost pisses me off when they're talking about Peta Tikva with a P. They have lots of fun, lots of art, lots of culture. And then when they're talking about their town, they say not a fun, not an art, not a mm-hmm. culture, which I'm sure works with the accent. And also I looked it up and if Egyptians and Israelis got together, they would truly speak to each other in broken yeah. English. But to write a song and use that to fill up your syllable count is like kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that the creators were drawn to in the original movie was the fact that um, both of them speak English as a second language. So viewing this communication through this second language that neither of them know super well was one of the things that they were really interested in. So that's probably why, but I mean, yeah, there's an argument to be made for the lyrics there. Not a fun, not a art, not a culture. This is Petalifa with a B. And so that brings us into It Is What It Is, which is the next song sung by Dina. It's basically described as a reprise of Welcome to Nowhere. It's just when they actually get introduced to the band and they're like, LOL. This is this town is really boring again. Tufik, who is the character played by Tony Shaloub is asking about Dina's life, like what she does and all that stuff, because him and another character, Khaled, are staying with her in her home while everyone else has kind of gone separately on their own side quests. Mm -hmm. He asks her like, oh, are you married or something? And she's just like, oh, I was married once. Like, he's terrible. We're no longer together. It is what it is. And it's interesting because it doesn't have a real ending. It just kind of trails off. And she's just like, you've got what you got, then blah, blah, blah. And it Sounds like it's trailing off into another verse, but the song just ends. Also sort of indicative of what her life is like. You settle in, then it is what it is. You've got what you've got, then blah, blah, blah. Our first song that sort of really stands apart is The Beat of Your Heart. One of the other citizens of this town is Itzik. He has also taken in two of the members of the band, And so he lives with his wife, Iris, and Avrum is her father. Itzik and Iris also have a young son. And you can tell that Itzik and Iris, their marriage is not super happy. They're kind of distant. And Avrum is like very optimistic. And he's talking about when he met Iris's mother, which apparently is actually based off the story of how the composer met his wife. I love this song. It's so pretty. Here's where we first see um, Mm -hmm. Kamal, who is one of the band members staying inside the house. He like whips out a violin and has this solo in the middle. The way that they actually managed to split it up was really smart because if you're not specifically looking out for it, you don't realize which band members are getting all the acting screen time and then which band members are actually just there Mm -hmm. because they know their instruments. Of the fast songs on the track, most of them are a little crazy, like... And this one wasn't? Yeah, it's just really earnest in general. It kind of does help them break the ice between the band and this Israeli family and just sort of be like, hey, we all know music. You play music. I started in music. Music is our connecting factor, which sort of goes back to that underlying political tone of like, if we just talk, everything will be fine. Love starts on a downbeat. Love starts when the music starts. Love starts when the tune is sweet and you lift your feet to the beat of your heart. Speaking of music, there's a lot of instrumental interludes in this show, some of which are captured on the recording, which is uh, the next track is Soraya. 
and it's basically the band is settling in for the night and they just kind of play music. It's unclear whether or not this music they're actually playing in the context of the show or just playing as kind of transition music. I'm just going to talk about all the instrumental tracks right now. The composer has talked about how a lot of these musicians, they're world-class musicians, and they do a lot of improv. And so my understanding is that every night they have sort of a basic start and end to how these interludes go, but the middle is just really up to the different musicians and what they're feeling that night, and they just kind of jam together. And so the other tracks are Haj Butras and Afifi, and the composer has also mentioned that for these names, he's basically just taken words that he's heard um, in Lebanese, because I believe his father is Lebanese. And so, for example, for Afifi, he had a woman that he called Aunt Afifi, so he just named it after her. I actually do like the instrumentals a lot. It really adds to sort of the fabric of this show. I'm pretty sure the concert is an all-instrumental track as oh, well. Oh yeah, sorry, the concert as well. All right, cool. The next song. Omar Sharish. The only one that matters. The best song on the show. Like, If this song wasn't on the track, I think this show's canceled. I think this like made the cast recording. Yeah, and this is also the song that they performed on the Tonys. So if you've seen the Tonys, you know this song. First of all, it's sung by Dina to Tufik. Katrina Lank, it, honestly, like I think makes the song. I don't know what this song would be without her. She's talking to Tufik because Khaled went out with Poppy, who we'll get to in the next song. She's asking him what kind of music his band plays. And he mentions it's traditional Arab music. And she's like, oh, I've heard that before. Like, do you play Um Kutum, who is a very famous singer? And he's like, oh, are you making fun of me? And she's like, no, I love Um Kutum. And then she launches into this song about Um Kutum and Omar Sharif. And it was a tradition for her and her mother to just listen to and watch these things together. And they were these like exotic sounds coming from somewhere to the southwest where Egypt is. A couple of side notes. Katrina Lang definitely is really good in this song, but I think the yes. instrumentals really make it as well. It's like so smooth and it fills the room when she's talking about like, um Katum and she's saying how the music mm -hmm. is like honey in her ears or whatever and i feel like this song is too also omar sharif really was a hunk i searched this guy <laughs> up what a beautiful man um the song has the most beautiful lyrics ever the line she's like my mother and i would sit there in a trance he was cool to the marrow the pharaoh of romance i mean i love the inline rhyme who would have ever thought that bone marrow and pharaoh <laughs> can make it together in one line on a Broadway show. My mother and I would sit there in a trance. He was cool to the marrow, the pharaoh of romance. Also, something really cool about the words in this song is I don't think Dina talks a lot about mm -hmm. her parents. And there's really like only one line in this song where she's just like, my mom and I would enjoy all this Arabic Egyptian culture together. And for whatever reason, just that one line gave me this feeling that she like was really close with her mom. I don't know why, but I always had that mm -hmm. image. I was like, oh, yeah, she talks about her mom a lot. Yeah, same. And she really doesn't. She talks about her mom once. And I also felt like, um, well, because like they're these two 
opposing cultures the fact that like she grew up in a family where even her parents were like this is fine like we should appreciate arabic culture gave you an insight on her family as well and it kind of like makes you feel like grew up with a pretty broad worldview and that might have to do a lot with like how she wants to get Mm -hmm. out of her small town so much and like none of this is spoken but I feel like I got all of that from this song in three minutes. You could basically sum up the whole story in just this song. Katrina Lank did talk about how this was the first cast recording she's done in like a recording booth. But when they got to Omar Sharif, she was talking about how strange it was to record it like standing up. And so she had to sort of get a chair to sit down and to sort of get back into the mood of this song. So I read a little interview about her. She really wanted to get into this character and she said that every night it's like she would play a little game with herself and pretend like she didn't know the plot and she didn't know the ending and and then so she could like relive it all again she's still in the show right i think she's gonna be in the closing cast um i'm curious to see whether or not she'll go on tour or like who's gonna replace her i don't think that like typically in pop culture when we think minority we think like, oh, a Middle Eastern actress. So I would love to see some fresh faces fill that spot as well on the tours. Now we're going to Poppy Here's the Ocean. (laughs) This song's a hoot. Poppy is this sort of younger character. He's off with Khalid, who is one of the other band members. And he got asked by his crush to go with her to this roller skate rink. Except he's like, bruh i can't girls he's basically talking about how anytime there's a girl anywhere near him he just hears the sound of the ocean and it's this really funny song he also doesn't give like a nuanced interpretation of the ocean he literally just like and i hear (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, i really like a lot of the lyrics in this i think it's really funny um he rhymes touchy feely with she might as well be speaking Swahili. She might as well be speaking Swahili cause all I hear is. Okay, quick point on that. I love how, even though it is really funny, they keep a lot of the references like in their geographical area, including Swahili, including my brain goes dead in the Dead Sea. Um, including I get all sticky in the pits and I smell like falafel. Yeah, it's really written for the character and what the character would do. And he's not subtle at all because he's like freaking out. And so his metaphors. There is stuff that a kid like him would know in the culture that he grew up in. So that was really nice. I thought like that was actually a lot more well thought out than I had immediately noticed when I was watching the show. It just leads straight into Holland's song about love. Oh, so Holland's kind of like a frat boy. Yeah, so he's like a total womanizer. He like adores Chet Baker, who is this jazz idol. And so his song is a very jazz number. No edge, no edge, no walls, no border. Two streams of water that become the sea. So the next track is the park which is actually an all dialogue track also i think it's the first time that our incredible best (laughs) actor winner even shows up on the cast recording he doesn't sing like we said 
but it's the first time he's on the cast recording. <laughs> and the first thing he says is yes. Yeah, that's um, that's 11 songs into an 18-song track. So, like, where are you, Tony? <laughs> Dina says, like, oh, hey, this is a park. And you just see her sitting in the middle of nowhere. And she's like, you have to imagine the park. If you look at the lyrics for this track, all Tufik says is yes. And then Dina asks him about what it's like conducting the orchestra. And then he stutters. And that's okay, it. At least he says more than one word because in the following track, he just repeats the track title over and over and over and over in different harmonizations for like a minute. Yeah. So he gets this acapella track. And I think the setup for this is basically Dina asks him to sing and basically try to tries to understand what his music is like that he is surrounded by all the time. And so it's actually funny because Tony Shalhoub, as we know, Tony winner for this role, in an interview, they were asking him like, oh, so how did you get involved in this show? And he's literally like, I don't know, man. I kept telling them I can't sing. I don't want to be a part of this. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. Like, do you sing in the shower? And he was like, yeah, I guess. And they're like, you're in. And the composer does talk about this. And he mentions that he tried to write Tufik like an actual song. And... He is like parsing out his thoughts, destroyed the mystery and depth of his feelings. The character that he is, is kind of this like quiet, mysterious type kind of person. So not only does he not sing a lot, he doesn't talk a lot. And probably the amount that he sings is a reflection of the amount that he talks. Right, um, yeah, Tony Shalhoub, that's pretty true. Tony Shalhoub is a really good actor, but like plays exist. Okay. Plays exist if you're a best actor in a musical. I need to see you on the cast recording, bro. Yeah. Um, but, okay, the thing that I do like about his song, Itagara, is it does set up the next song really well. And I actually like, grew to love this song, Something Different. Um, and it's basically Dina just, like, blown away by him singing. You can sort of read it as, like, oh, she's always heard these songs on radio and sung by professional singers what she hears Tufik doing is much more raw and she mentions how she doesn't even know what he's singing about and she's sort of feels like a lot of this romantic connection to him now or she's just over romanticizing it because you know her life is boring and her ex-husband sucks and all that stuff but she mentions like oh is he singing about two hearts searching in the darkness or is he just singing about fishing? I don't think I interpret exactly the same way as you did, but I almost thought she was like fetishizing him or like projecting I think so. what she wanted onto him, right? And then she's like, look at this guy who's so interesting and different from everything I know. He came from out of town. Like it's a little naughty to go out with a guy that's Arabic, like blah, 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 blah. And she kind of like just projected that onto yeah. him and that's why she was so into him the whole time because he didn't exactly flirt mm-hmm. like they went out for a whole night and he said like two words yeah <laughs> yeah and she basically has to like drag those words out of him she also had to drag him on this date <laughs> yeah i just thought it was funny because he's like she's like oh is he singing about fishing she's like is he lonely maybe reaching out for someone look at me maybe i'm the one that's fishing and then she launches straight into another like basically reprise of Omar Sharif and she does say like is this my Omar Sharif because Omar Sharif in a lot of his movies he's like the big handsome man who comes and you know falls in love with the girl and like brings her to a better life and all that stuff and that's kind of what she's 
mm-hmm. uh, fantasizing about. Is this my chic? Is this my homagerie? Well, I know it's something different. Before we move on, I think there's kind of an important character in this show, the telephone booth guy. All he does is just stare at a telephone. Caresses it occasionally. And he does fight someone for it. Yeah. He does fight someone for it for a hot second. There's no explanation. Random guy just standing in a phone booth. He shows up and stands next to a phone booth in between scenes like probably three times. And you're like, oh, hi. Well, okay. I guess to give a little backstory, the reason why the band got stranded is they took the wrong bus, but the next bus doesn't come until the next morning. And so they're trying to call to the culture center where they're supposed to be just to let them know. And Dina's like, hey, the only phone booth in this whole town is this one right here with this one guy who doesn't even have a name. His name is Telephone Man, I think. And he's just like standing in front of it because he's waiting for his ex-girlfriend to call him because he's like left her a ton of messages and she just like disappeared and ghosted him or something. And so one time they do try to use the phone booth and he like fights them. And he's like, no, this phone cannot be used just in case my girlfriend calls. Even though he doesn't have a name, he actually like... I feel like he's a big part of the tone. And he's a big part of this whole waiting theme. Yeah, exactly. He's the one who's literally waiting for an actual event to happen while everyone else is just kind of waiting out the rest of their lives. He's like, actually has a specific event that he's waiting for. All right. It's X Lullaby. He's like sitting on the ground or something next to the crib with his son. And he's just singing to his baby. And it's also a really sad song. Like he's trying to tell this story. He starts out with a great big house. There is somewhere that's filled with sun and lovely things. Fell in love, your mom and I. We made our plans and started life. But now we fight and back away. A loser and a loser's wife. This song, it's interesting because uh, one of the other band members is here. And he's the clarinetist. He's talking about how he's trying to write this great concerto. And he's writing part of it. And he's just like, I don't know how to end it or something like that. And Itzik mentions, well, not all endings have to be big. Like, what if it's a small ending, like a baby crying? They, in turn, inspire each other because it's implied that through this song, Kamal sort of at least comes to a breakthrough on his concerto. Inside the house, there is a room, a baby sleeps, a daddy sings. So we go back to Dina and Tufik. This is when Dina tries to kiss Tufik. And Tufik is like, no, I can't do this. He talks about how he had this son. And I think he was too harsh on his son, had too exacting expectations. And so his son ended up committing suicide. And then his wife was so heartbroken that she also ended up killing herself. So he basically rebuffs Dina. It's like, no. I can't do this. I'm going to go to bed. Tafiks don't exist in this world. <laughs> you can tell he's something he's been holding in for a long time. And then he like finally breaks down and tells her what's up with him. Because, you know, this whole show, he says like basically nothing. And then Holland comes and he tells Dina like, oh, you have beautiful eyes or something. Because, you know, he's like a frat boy. And then Dina pounces on him. out with him. And so that <laughs> yeah, she literally just like. 
all right, this is a man that will. She's like, one way or another, I'm getting some dick tonight. Basically, she just came straight off um, to Feek's rejection. So she's like, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. So he's her rebound for something that never even happened. The next morning, they're like, all right, band is finally ready to leave. And then we get to hear from the telephone guy finally says something in Answer Me, which is the basically the finale track. The phone does ring and he answers it and you can tell it is his girlfriend calling back. And I think they, the production team has mentioned they did want that phone to ring because, you know, no matter how bleak a situation is, they want to project the idea that there's still hope and that maybe one day something that you're waiting for will come. And while he's doing this, all the other residents of Betatikva kind of join in. The chorus that they do sing together is very short. And so it is just like, hey, this one night with these outsiders actually brought us together more than we could be together as a community but it's also very fleeting and it kind of leaves the ending open as to like oh will this continue will this community still be able to come together or is this just a one night only kind of deal i mean there's barely a plot so there can only barely be an ending the whole thing is very matter of fact and they're just like here is a day in the life yeah exactly and also just how something out of the ordinary can affect that normal day. Will you and then we get to the concert, which kind of functions as an epilogue, really. The Egyptian band finally leaves and gets to the right place. And it's them just playing their set. and Showing off, yeah, killing it. Literally, it, is, it was written for the musicians to just show off. You really see how much all these musicians have been like holding back during the rest yeah. of the show. So you get this whole feeling that they're just like, woohoo, I can finally let loose and do my shit. <laughs> was a show it was interesting because it wasn't the composer or the director or anything that came up with this idea which is normally how it happens it was actually the producer Oren wolf who originally saw this movie with his wife and he immediately was like this needs to be on stage and he didn't know if it would be a musical or anything yet but he was like writing to the writer of the original movie and he's like hey i want to put this on stage and the original writer had maybe seen one show before he like wasn't very familiar with theater and at first he was like no I don't want my characters in cat costumes because that's what he assumed Broadway was like and so (laughs) he was like no like if you knew theater as well as you knew film you would know that this is a show meant to be in the theater and then it took him like two years to get the rights but he did convince the writer that it was the right thing to do so this movie was an Israeli movie And it was highly critically acclaimed. And because it was written in the Middle East, um, I think the original intentions of the movie were a lot more political than this show let on. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't watch the movie because, you know, the musical was slow and I didn't want to subject myself to more torture. 
But I read up on the movie and apparently there's lots of like little moments where nothing is said, but the intentions are clear. So I read that when the band first arrives at Dina's Cafe, there's this photo of like a tank on the wall. Oh, And then one of the musicians just takes off his hat and, like, hangs it over the photo. And it's kind of like, hey, like, let's forget about war. Mm -hmm. Let's not look at that. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, those little moments. Yeah. And I think knowing that kind of turned my opinion on the show in general a little. Right. You saw it before me. And then you lowered my expectations so much that I actually liked it quite a lot. Okay. So I did think it was slow at first, but for me, it was like wine, basically. Like you think about it more and you're starting to see how the pieces come together more. And that definitely happened a lot more after I started listening to the cast recording too. Okay. I think the main like thing that I can fault it for in this area is that even though it may be like wine and gets better when you mull over it, leaving the show, I didn't feel particularly compelled to mull over it. I wasn't like, oh, let me go home and think about how deep this was because, you know, shots exist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think the only reason I did do that much, like thinking about it, was because everyone had raved about it so much. And I was like, I don't get it. What is it I'm not getting? And so that's why I started thinking about it more. Also, I was mad because everyone's like, this show is like nothing else that's ever been on Broadway. And I'm like, that is a lie. Because it's maybe unlike any other musical, but it reads like a play. And so there was this debate also when in the production process of this of, oh, should we call it a play with music? Should we call it a musical? Like, does it matter what it's called? And like, bottom line is, yes, it mattered for commercial reasons and to raise money because musicals get more money. So that's why they called it a musical. But also because there is significantly more music than there would be in a, quote, play with music. I don't know. Choir Boy had a lot of singing. Yeah, and it's interesting that they called that a play with music. This show won 10 Tonys. It got nominated for 11. How many of the Tonys do you think you can name? I was at the Tonys. I know, but do you remember all the ones it won? Musical, lead actress, lead actor, score, book. Um, Okay, so that's six. (sighs) Let's see what else. Director? Yes. Did it win lighting? Yes, which I was mad about, but that's fine. What else is there? Sound design? It did also win that. Conductor? That doesn't exist to the outrage of many people on the internet. There's no way it got costume. I know my fair lady got costume. (sighs) Did it win a featured actor? Yes. Holland. Ariel Stachel. All right. Another guy with one song. What did it lose? Scenic? Yeah. Yeah. To Spongebob. Tony Shalhoub is the main one that I have issues with. We've kind of hinted at that. Um... I mean, he's a fantastic actor, but he just didn't do a lot in this show compared to all the other nominees, which were Joshua Henry in Carousel, Ethan Slater in SpongeBob, and Harry Haddon Patton in My Fair Lady. Yeah, I actually don't think it should have qualified for lead actor. I think even if it, I think it actually should have been a featured actor category. Like, I think Katrina Lank was really the only leading person in this show. And I think it was more than clear that, like, the Tonys were trying to make a statement. Yeah. They were just like, oh, all these other musicals, which is like Frozen, Spongebob, um, and Jukebox musicals. They were, like, too commercial. Like, this is probably a little sidetracked, but the similarity between the band's visit and this year's Oscar winner 
Green Book is like undeniable because they're both like, hey, two groups of people would like each other more if we just spend more time together. And I was really mad about that because I thought Green Book winning was a very safe choice and there were a little more progressive political movies this year. And following that kind of mindset, if I wanted um, the show that had the strongest message to win, then I would agree that Band's Visit deserved Best Musical. However, a musical isn't a movie, and I don't think that this Best Musical category can be judged on a statement or even a plot because there is Best Book for that. And if you're going to win Best Musical, you have to also have the best music and the best vocalists. And I don't think this show even comes close to achieving that this year. Part of the Tony voters are the owners of touring houses. The touring houses would want a slightly more unknown musical to win Best Musical because then they'd be able to market it as like, come see this musical when it comes on tour, it won Best Musical versus something like Mean Girls where people would come anyway. Also, how the fuck did this win the Grammys? Well, so it was up against My Fair Lady, Carousel, Jesus Christ Superstar from the telecast. Once mm-hmm. on this island. I guess none of these are new. The Grammy does this weird thing where they give a Grammy to all the principal soloists as well as the producer and music director. So Etai Benson, who played Poppy, Adam Cantor, who played the telephone guy, Katrina Lank playing Dina and Ariel Stachel playing Holland all got Grammys for this. So the four of them were considered principal soloists. Notably, not Tony. Not Tony the telephone guy? The telephone guy, but not Tony? <laughs> yes. Kinky Boots also won the Grammy, and the only principal soloists considered on that Grammy are um, Stark Sands and Billy Porter, who play the two main roles. Like, Annalie Ashford playing Lauren is not considered a principal vocalist. But then for the Dear Evan Hansen Grammy, all of the members of the cast got that Grammy, including the two friends. There's six of them or something. Well, no, but also, like, Jared and Alana were included in that. Here's the thing. If they had to include Lauren and in Kinky Boots, they would have to include Harry. They probably have to include Dawn. All right. Getting into Kinky Boots then, which will be available in part two on our next episode. 